0: Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Tins, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, their struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of The Attic Monologues.
1: Okay, I'm here today because auditions are coming up soon and I need to practice, like recording auditions, I guess. Okay, so my mum's been clearing out the attic over the summer and she found this super old wooden chest with like a bunch of old handwritten monologues, which must have been left by whoever owned the house before us. Excerpts from whole plays or standalones, I don't really know, there's no signatures or anything. Anyway, they all look pretty interesting, so mum let me bring them back to uni so I could use them for practice into different characters doing short pieces trying out more modern writing you know more of a shakespeare person still can't believe you like hamlet more than the lion king you can't beat the original hamlet is so much deeper because there are so many different possibilities for interpretation
0: the attic monologues is a queer urban fantasy horror series created by morgan greensmith who serves as the show's writer and producer it follows nix ryland a non-binary theater student who decides to record themselves practicing monologues from a collection they found in their attic. Using their lifelong crush, Bella Crow, as their audience, they begin performing them. But these monologues are strange and dreamlike, and the more Nick's reads, the more it becomes evident that things are not as they seem. These monologues are not just paper and ink, the world is not what they knew, and the people they love just might be in danger, or the danger itself. A student at Exeter University, Greensmith is also the president of the Exeter University Podcast Society, which produces The Attic Monologues. The show launched in March of 2021 and is in production of its first season. I spoke to Morgan remotely from their home in London. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got started doing your creative work.
2: My name is Morgan Greensmith. I am a writer and a student. I'm very new to podcasting um but i've been a fan of the medium for a long time since i was like 15 yeah i like to focus on stories that aren't sort of told as much and i think podcasting is a very good medium for that because you know there's no paywall really it's just like whatever you want to do whatever you can give to the medium
0: right so, there's no no one no one holding the purse strings to tell you what you can and can't put out there
2: exactly exactly yeah so um it's always been a very appealing medium to me
0: So you're a student. Uh, What are you
2: studying? I study classics and English, which is – so the classics part is like Roman, Greek, mythology, the Iliad Odyssey, all that sort of stuff. Pre
0: medieval, right? Yes. Generally, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Good. Um, But I did notice the references to Shakespeare in the first episode. Um, Are you a fan of Shakespeare as well?
2: I am. I haven't – Honestly, studied that much. I did Hamlet at A level, but a lot of the references to Shakespeare, I have to admit, are searched up and (laughs) sort of. uh, So I have given this main character a hyperfixation on Shakespeare without myself having a hyperfixation on Shakespeare, which was, you
0: know. Well, that's all right. It's a good way to learn.
2: (laughs) It is. It is. Yeah, and I'm I'm doing a module next term at uni on Shakespeare, so I'm like, ah, research the attic. That's amazing. (laughs) Excellent.
0: Excellent. What appeals to you about the classics?
2: Because I I'm one of those kids who read Percy Jackson as a child. So mm-hmm. um,
0: mythology it, is a big deal, huh?
2: Yeah, I just find it so interesting. I'm very strange actually because I find history really interesting, but specifically only non living history. As soon as we get to like the World Wars, my brain just turns off immediately. <laughs> but when you go, show me some mythology. So show me some ancient relics that have just been dug out of the ground, and I. It's, I just find it so fascinating.
0: You build The Attic Monologue specifically as a queer urban fantasy podcast. Can you tell me wh- what does queer mean to you in the context of your show?
2: Uh, I think it was very important to put the word queer out there in our description so that people you know know going in that this is in a safe environment where we're exploring this sort of theme. Um, you know, Growing up as a queer person myself, I haven't seen my story out there as much Mm -hmm. especially with Nick's being non-binary like we're seeing a lot more sort of gay and lesbian and bisexual relationships and even like trans characters in media but non-binary is incredibly rare you know there's a wikipedia page which has about five entries on it encompassing that experience is i guess what we're trying to do with the word queer especially how People gravitate and look after each other in Mm. that. So it's sort of a sense of community that is sort of invoked automatically, because especially in a lot of current media, you'll get the token grey character, which I have found in life is not true. It's kind (laughs) of people just gravitate together even before they know that they're queer.
0: Nyx is non-binary. There are lots of queer characters throughout the monologues.
2: Yes. I mean, basically, if I'm writing, assume that everyone is queer, unless (laughs) (laughs) deliberately stated otherwise.
0: I gotcha. Sometimes we talk about queer media as it's not just about queer representation, but it's also about queering the narrative structure or approaching the storytelling itself in ways that are not cis-hetero standard kind of ways. Have you thought about that at all in the way you are writing your show?
2: I have a lot, actually. I can't explain it too much because there is quite a lot of spoilers in there. But I am deliberately sort of looking at the traditional structure of narrative and sort of going, why is this about using my text to ask that question and sort of make make the listener think about, you know, roles in narratives and how that can be perceived and changed depending on the point of view.
0: One of the things that I think is is really lovely about your pieces is that you've got these monologues, which are quite well-written and well-performed that have a really emotional resonance. But, you know, if I was dropping in completely sort of blind and just listened to the first episode, there's not a lot of traditional story there. You know, there's not a lot of action or plot. There's some interesting character stuff. It's real subtle. You have to look for it, but it's there. I- I'm wondering, is that this part of your thinking and how you wanted to structure the storytelling for Attic Monologues, approaching it maybe as more of an emotional or personal kind of narrative about human experience, rather than some sort of straight up plot.
2: I have found that when you look at podcasting, I I like to call it podcast pacing, because mm. um, if you look at it in comparison to books, it's a very different structure. Where because you have this episodic feel, you are able to slowly slide in the narrative until mm. ten episodes in suddenly the listener goes oh this is the story that's being told to me yeah and sort of especially I come from the world of like fan fiction and stuff where it's far more interesting to explore the everyday emotional beats than the grandiose overwhelming stuff because that at the end of the day it isn't something that an audience can connect to personally in the same way whereas sort of So, for example, uh, the Apollo podcasting app just launched, that's for audio drama, and we got labelled a slice of life. And that really surprised me. But looking back at it, I'm actually very happy with that, because I think exploring the individual moments and sort of building the characters up as people before I hit you with the emotional slam dunk, it's a far more impactful way of treating that narrative and making you care about the characters by being able to connect to them and project onto them.
0: You're doing this through the Exeter University Podcast Society. Can you tell me about what that is?
2: Yes. So um, my friend Joe Mayo um, set it up last year when he was in his final year um, during the pandemic because he came from a podcasting background and wanted to be able to make podcasts and help people make podcasts. So I joined when I was in my second year. And basically they just went, we want people to make podcasts. Do you have any ideas? And I went, well, I've got this idea and this idea and this I've been playing around with for a few years. And then I went home that night and I went, what if I came up with something completely different? And so I suddenly, The Attic Monologues was born overnight. I sort of brought the first script to a session and they went, this is great. Start casting for it, start rolling for it. And it was very much a stumbling process from there. And then Joe graduated and I took over as president because I was probably quite invested in the society you know, because <laughs> it helped me yeah. make this show. So I am now the president. We run you know, how to make podcast workshops and writing workshops for audio drama. We do a pod club every week where we listen to a podcast and then come together and talk about it. So it's a lot of fun.
0: I'm really old. So uh, podcasts weren't a thing when I was back in, at university. But this sounds like a really interesting idea. I'm wondering, do you have any sense? Is that is that something that's happening across campuses? Are there podcast clubs that are springing up?
2: Not that I'm aware of. Joe was very proud of us being the first podcast society in the UK for universities. So maybe we'll catch on.
0: Have you had any training as an actor or have you taken acting classes or anything like that?
2: Uh, I did GCSE and A-level drama. So Mm. I have some experience with acting, but I was always more of a techie.
0: The reason I ask is there's a perennial problem that actors have, and that is trying to find a monologue that's good for auditions that they haven't heard before. When I heard about Nix and their trove of discovered monologues, that immediately made me think, ah, see, now there's a good thing. (laughs) That's a good resource for an actor to have. Where did you come up with the idea for that?
2: I'm not sure exactly. I think it was having been around drama people a lot. I have, and when I was in first and second year, a lot of my flatmates were drama students. So they were always complaining about, oh, this monologue I have to do, this monologue I can't (laughs) find. And so I sort of knew that experience a little bit as well, because we had to, in A-levels, even if you were a techie, you still had to perform a monologue. So desperately tearing through all the plays they had in the drama department, trying to find a monologue that fit was absolutely awful. Um, So I found one monologue and I just use that for every single audition I've ever done now. (laughs) Um, So, you know, if it ain't broke, but (laughs) (laughs) Nix is a drama student at the university. So they probably go through that a lot more than I have.
0: Tell me a little bit about The Attic Monologues in your own words. What is this show about? What does it mean to you?
2: It started off as an urban fantasy and then sort of has devolved a little bit into a horror, which was I was not expecting because I'm not a horror person. um, But we have officially added horror podcast to our bio, which was like a life changing thing for us. (laughs) Yes, it is urban fantasy. Yes, it is horror. But at the end of the day, The Attic Monologues is about the struggle of growing up at the moment in this world like that is a theme that i'm very focused on in a lot of the different works i do trying to explain and explore how young people are existing in the world today and especially at university you know in my second year we were in the middle of the pandemic mm. when i started this project and it was a very traumatizing time for everyone it's felt especially isolating and so exploring mental health and exploring interpersonal relationships is kind of more the focus and the all the fantasy stuff just kind of comes along for the ride because especially something that I have seen in a lot of shows is you know depression mental health they all get explored in a lot of fantasy shows but they get explored in conjunction with the fantasy so you know there's a massive war in the fantasy world and everyone has depression because of that Um, Mm, things like that and I sort of wanted to go what if they already had all of these issues and how does that interfere with the hero's journey and the way the narrative is told because they don't react to events the same way that a mentally healthy person would
0: what is the driving force behind you wanting to tell this particular story i know you said that it kind of came in a flash to you as an idea why did you want to tell this story and why now
2: that was the sort of year that uh a lot of big podcasts were ending, so i me and all my friends were very into the Magnus Archives, for example, mm-hmm. right. but it was very interesting to see the creator Johnny Sims say how it was originally aimed at people his age, like thirties um you know in the workforce, sort of that sort of vibe, but it rang a lot of resonance with younger people. You got teenagers listening to it, despite the fact that it was aimed at a much higher audience. I wanted to tell a story like that. That was actually aimed at our age group. But I mean, it, it's enjoyable for all.
0: Sure. It's certainly relatable to hear people in your own peer group.
2: Exactly. So I think why now is because I was feeling quite a lot of the things that my characters were feeling around the time I was writing it and sort of writing has always been my outlet. The way I process my own emotions is just give them to another character and go, you can deal with that instead. <laughs> so <laughs> why now? Because the world felt like too much and so i wanted them to explore that and survive it
1: anyway future nicks with me today is my lovely co-host bella crow housemate enabler biggest fan of yours truly she's here because i think talking to a recorder is weird and i need validation when i'm acting and she's got the best reaction face to everything never be on her team for poker poker doesn't have teams you're no fun but i'm better company than the recorder right so I have a lot going for me. I don't know. If I put it inside a hoodie with a pair of glasses peeking out, I'm not sure I could tell the difference. Oh, okay, wow. I'll just go then. I have a truly fascinating essay on a vindication of the rights of women just begging to be written. No, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'll exile the recorders to the wardrobe. You know you're the only audience for me. Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> we should probably get started in one of those monologues, huh?
0: Would it be fair to say that these monologues are personal?
2: Some of them are, yes. Um, I have had my mother call me up multiple times and go, it's a bit autobiographical, isn't it? <laughs> I do pour a lot of myself into some of them, you know? Like, I'm not a teenage arsonist, as with episode three. Um,
0: <laughs> That's good. <laughs>
2: but <laughs> Or am I? You never know. That's true. Um, That's true. But... Um, Other monologues are a lot more personal and it sort of takes me longer to write those ones because I'm trying to put into words things that feel too big. So episode four, for example, is about a woman who can't sleep because she's scared of sleeping. And I personally, I don't dream. um, So I have always had that fear. I've never seen it explored because people, you know, in all this fantasy, there's all this stuff about dreams. And, you know, dreams are very important in the fantasy genre because they usually used for exposition or to show the character's mental state. And I've always been very confused by dreams. So I wanted to explore that, how it feels to just sort of go to sleep and just snap awake without anything in between.
0: You really don't dream at all?
2: I get about one dream every six months. It's very strange. Um, But yeah, almost always, I just don't dream.
0: In the show, we have Nyx, who is our protagonist. They are rehearsing monologues with their roommate and crush Bella. (laughs) The two of them work together. Nix is attempting to develop their craft as an actor. Bella is helping. The other thing that's going on there too is that there's a little flirtation. (laughs) I'm guessing then that the relationship between these two people is central to the ongoing story of the
2: monologues. Absolutely. Very slow burn childhood friends to lovers arc is what I'm trying to go for. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> i I think yeah, we've made that quite clear. Um I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything to say that because I feel like we've been very obvious about it on Twitter especially.
0: The little flirtation moments are actually pretty cute. <laughs> um so uh I, I do appreciate that.
1: Let's get started. Which one are you gonna read today? Um I was thinking maybe this one. I read it a couple early and this one seems like a shorter one, considering how much of a mess this recording already is and since it's the first one too. Probably want to start it slow, get back into the swing of things. I mean, all my drama modules are theory this term, so I literally haven't done any script work since May. Let's see. Eliana Wickham, a professor of astrophysics whose wife went missing several months ago. Starting on a high note, then. Nice name, I guess. Yeah, well, you know me. Morbid and bittersweet. Hmm. And um, you just want me to sit here? Should I look at you? Should I look somewhere else? I don't want to put you off for anything. No, 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 you can look at me, it's okay. If anything, you'll make my performance better. I like it when you look at me. I, I, I mean just because it's like having a legit audience watch, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I'll just sit here. Um, whenever you're okay. ready, go for it. I believe in you.
0: <laughs> and I think it's interesting that the first episode called The Stars Are Fire is about loss and grief The speaker of the monologue is Ellie, uh, who is an astrophysicist who has recently lost her wife. We say lost, presumed dead, but is missing. Ellie believes that Zelda, her wife, is not dead, is in fact just missing and gone somewhere. Why did you want to begin with a piece that is about loss and grief?
2: pulling back the curtain a bit it wasn't entirely (laughs) planned when I was writing I started out by writing for NaNoWriMo National Novel Writing Month I just wrote as much as I could Mm -hmm. of the podcast just random scenes that came into my head and by the end I had about 10 different starting points for different monologues and I sort of looked at them all and went which one of these makes me feel something already which one of these do I want to tell which one of these do I want to start off with It's very different to all the other monologues because it's a lot more narrative. Mm. It's sort of a lot more... Eliana is a lot more in herself and a lot more lucid than some of the other monologuers. I wanted to start off with sort of something beautiful. Eliana is all about the stars and sort of how beautiful everything is and how beautiful the world is and how the way that Zelda saw the world was beautiful.
1: That night, she led me up to the summit, climbed up to the tree to its highest point, cracked glow sticks and waved them up at the sky, as so if we could tell the stars in Semaphore. Hello. We nestled them amongst the leaves to light our way. shared a shitty bottle of champagne between breaths of lavender perfume and lip gloss, and when she wrapped the muslin around my finger in a silver loop and, and asked me to be hers, I thought that night would last forever. I mean, when you look at the stars, you're really looking at what they looked like tens or hundreds or thousands of years ago, because the light has taken so long to reach us. Time travel, if you like. So maybe really that night has lasted.
0: You have a a really interesting take on this. I particularly like the fact that you juxtaposed Eliana as an astrophysicist versus Zelda, who is a folklorist. One has a very scientific, logical point of view about the stars, and the other one is all about mythology and about uh, the romanticism of them. It's the whole opposites attract kind of thing of, I don't understand why you think this way about this, but there's something about that which is very attractive. I wondered if it kind of underlined a little bit of Nick's and Bella's relationship.
2: Definitely. I have been accused by by my director L, um, that everything, all of the relationships parallel or sort of play off each other in different ways. You know, we have Eliana and Zelda, we have Nyx and Bella, we have uh, later on Ambrose and Adry. Um, there are lots more other relationships that come in later on. They are all deliberately paralleling or playing off each other in certain ways. I really enjoy that sort of narrative harmony.
0: I do think. That you dropped a little extra hint about something larger at the end of episode one. Because mm-hmm. if you listen all the way through the credits, at the very, very end, there's some little creepy, weird sound effect that happens. Now, I have no context for that. I don't know what that is. <laughs> but is that a little, a little tease? Is that a little hint?
2: Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, every single episode has a post credit scene to the surprise of quite a few of our listeners. Um, <laughs> but every single episode has one.
0: As you look back on the first episode now, and the season is taking shape and the story is unfolding, and you've added a horror tag, how do you feel about the work you did on that first episode?
2: I am honestly quite proud of it. Um, mm-hmm. We were stumbling in the dark quite a lot. I think. We will at some point go back and re-record it because we have better equipment now, thanks to Mm -hmm. our Kofi, which is so lovely. There's so much weight on a first episode. You know, you have to establish the world. You have to establish characters. You have to establish a certain amount of stakes. You have to, there's a lot of law dumping you have to do quite unsubtly. So it's very hard to pull off a first episode.
0: What do you struggle with in your creative process and in your creative work?
2: I honestly struggle with the monologues more than anything. I will usually write pages and pages of dialogue that are completely useless, but the monologues will take me a lot of time. And I will literally, I will have bits of them written out in notebooks and then I'll type them up into my draft and then I'll rewrite them and then I'll rewrite the entire thing in a notebook and then write it back up again on my script because I can't do it all in one go. And I've also, I kind of have a bit of a vendetta against short stories. I have never really liked them. I did a module (laughs) where we had to write them in first year and I just thought they were absolutely pointless and I would (laughs) never write a short story because everything that is a short story should actually be a whole novel or a poem. (laughs) And then cut to (laughs) the attic monologues and I suddenly realise that I have to write a short story every episode <laughs> and really becoming to appreciate the medium a lot more it's a struggle so just sort of trying to find the voice of each narrator is quite a bit of the struggle for me the episode seven for example took so long to finish because originally the narrator was supposed to be a very traditional man like 18th century conservative rich man because i was trying to write far outside my comfort zone and sort of see how that went mm. and i just could not write a whole monologue like that and so i just made him gay and then suddenly it was going fine it was great
0: <laughs> uh so if I, if I have trouble writing a character just make them gay and...
1: yeah i mean it works for me
0: <laughs> uh writing monologues i think is actually pretty tricky. With dialogue, I mean, you still have the same same kind of challenges as you would normally. But with dialogue, you can play with things like the rhythm between the characters. Mm-hmm. And there's action in the pacing and the, the way they talk to each other. But when you've got a monologue, you have to really play with the language. If you don't break it up, if you don't find those beats, if you don't change the rhythm and you don't use delicious words, you know, mm-hmm. then it's easy for the audience to kind of go, eh. I'm tuning out because it's all becoming the same.
2: Yeah. I think the actor who plays Nick's Atlas, they absolutely knock it out of the park every time. Um, mm. Sort of their energy and how they sort of take my words and change them and make them both Nick's and the character simultaneously it is what makes or breaks the show. And I really do think it makes it.
0: How do you measure success?
2: You know, there's the traditional ways of the Spotify stats. Those are always very nice to look at and go, oh my gosh, people actually listen to this thing, which is insane. And, you know, getting by a couple of people we've been added on Twitter going, this is amazing. And every time I see those, I have a small breakdown and go, oh my God, real people who I don't know are listening to this. It's a bit of a smaller one, but the way I measure success most is I've had people at university who I barely speak to come up to me and go, oh my gosh, I've been listening to your podcast. I love it so much. Being approached in real life by people who I'm not even close friends with, so it's not even like, I'm listening to this because it's made by Morgan. They're listening to it because they're interested. That is what makes me the most sort of like, oh my God, we're doing a thing.
0: You've got a lot on your plate with school and and (laughs) then running the society and then making uh, the Attic Monologues. How do you stay motivated?
2: I am not very good at motivating myself, but I find the Attic Monologues is a great way to procrastinate uni work. Um, <laughs> I love so, that. <laughs> any excuse I have to not do my university work, I will take. It's how I end up doing so many extracurriculars. <laughs> um and sort of I have a brain that likes to jump between things. So I find it a lot easier to have several plates spinning in the air at once so that I can sort of jump between them.
0: What lessons have you learned about creating audio drama that you might want to share with other creators?
2: Don't be a perfectionist. I've had so many projects that I've never finished or never even got off the ground because it needs to be absolutely perfect before anybody ever looks at it. And I think, especially with a serialized audio drama with all those episodes, just getting it out there is arguably more important than making it good, which sounds absolutely blasphemous. But I think getting into the rhythm of writing and getting into the rhythm of releasing is more important in the long run and sort of the quality will come from The Habit.
0: What's next for you?
2: Our episode 10, our mid-season finale, will be out in on the 29th. So by the time this episode comes out, it will be out. Um, and mm-hmm. then we're taking a month off and we are setting up a Patreon, which is very exciting for us. Lots of more work for me, but <laughs> <laughs> very exciting beyond that uh soren our social media manager and i are setting up a podcasting company which we've been talking about since we were 18 um you know we've always kind of wanted to do it we have a lot of different ideas for scripts um but there's this one sci-fi script that we've been working on since we were, since we were 18 which we're hoping to get off the ground by the end of next year so look out for that
1: <laughs> damn nixie that was some performance uh, uh- Thank you. Uh, I Yeah, that, that was a good one, wasn't it? Don't know how you're going to top that for the next one. The pressure? God! I wonder if any of these extracts are from the same thing. How do you want to know what happens to Zelda now? I'll have a look. I'll see if I can find anything. Maybe you should have chosen one a bit less intense to start off, huh? I don't know. I feel like the drama suits you.
0: The attic monologues are filled with beautiful writing and can be appreciated on this alone. But Greensmith's slowly unspooling story weaves in elements of the supernatural, themes of loneliness and struggle, and the evolving relationship between Nick's and Bella is at the heart of it all. You can listen to The Attic monologues on most major podcast platforms, or see our show notes for links. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them, and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. The show's webpage is thefirstepisodeof.com. If you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, send an email to thefirstepisodeof at gmail.com. If you like down to earth sci fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. questions about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way. But no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.